Okay. So, last week, you guys know I was a little stressed about the message. Praise the Lord. Um, he showed up. You know what? For whatever reason, I feel a little bit of that today as well. So, y'all just pray for me that I will get out of the way. Um, I feel like um, the gift that, uh, that this is, is given to me personally is I know how inadequate that I am in my flesh, um, but I know how adequate God is. Um, so, the goal and what I'm asking for is just simply for me to be removed from the way, get out of the way. That God will do great things, okay? So I've got uh, what I know God's given us. So uh, let's jump into a little bit of review where we were last week. So we're in that message. Uh, obviously, this overall series is called A Life Live for God, which is the book of Joshua. Now, we finished part three, or the third part of our message, An Ungodly Inheritance, last week. In doing so, what we were doing was addressing the two and a half, drive, the two and a half tribes that were very driven by discontentment, right? There was an as- aspect of them unwilling to receive what God had for them, an inheritance he had for them in Canaan, the promised land that he not only had prepared for them, but he had preserved for them. And they had made a conscious choice to choose for themselves something outside of God's plan. Now, this was not a part of what God intended for them. This was of their own free will. But though, even though God knew that it was a bad choice, even though it was not what it was that he wanted for them, when it came down to it, he did not step in. He did not intervene. He, though he knows the results are going to be negative long term, he allows it displaying for us the free will that God has designed and given to his creation. You and I all have, we have free will. And this is the big one of big lessons that we need to take from the message that we talk, that ungodly inheritance, because it was, it was by choice. And in that message, what we saw was the fact that though um, people come many times with a, with a mindset that they believe they're doing God's will, many times in reality what we're doing is accomplishing what it is that we want to be done. And so what we see is the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for every individual. But in the end, it will be up to us to choose to follow, to do things according to God's will. It's not by coincidence there is wording like what it says. I'm going to list you, read you a couple of verses. There is a phrase in here that we're going to see in these verses. We're going to first look at 1 Corinthians 12, 25. This is pointing to that truth that you and I get to choose. 1 Corinthians 12, 25 says there's, that there should be no schisms. Notice the word should be. No schisms in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. Ephesians 1 forces this. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy. Not that we will, but that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says this. For this is the will of God, even your sanctification. Here's God's will clearly laid out. Notice the next thing it says. That ye should abstain from fornication, ye should. First Peter two twenty one says, "For even hereunto here ye call, were you called, because Christ also suffered us, leaving us an example that ye should follow His steps." And there are countless examples in Scripture of that same truth that we should do things, but not that we absolutely will do them. Because guess what? There is free will. Why does God create free will? Because when we choose to honor God, we're putting him above ourselves, right? We are selfish by nature. That's who we are. We always look out for ourselves, unfortunately, especially children. Mine, 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 even if it's not theirs, right? But that's the mindset. So what we find is the fact that so many times God's told us what we should do, that, but then we have, to, we have to choose to do it. Adam and Eve made, up, made the mess that they did based upon the fact that they had free will. We're in the mess that we did, that we're in because of them, because of free will. God knew the horrible consequences, 
And yet, notice he did not step in. He knew exactly what was going on. Going on. He knew the choice that they were making. And he knows the choice that the two and a half tribes are making. He sees what they're doing. And yet again, he does not step in. And every day, God gives us free will to make our choices. And he doesn't step in. He tells us, this is my expectation for you. And then every day we get to choose. Will I, do, will I live my life for him? Or will I selfishly live for myself? We choose. And then there was another principle that was graphically displayed for us, which was the aspect of what was pictured in these two and a half tribes is the detrimental or destructive impact of generational sin. How what we do then pours over into other people's lives. We spotlighted the law of sowing and reaping, something that we've touched on many times from Ephesians chapter number six, verses seven and eight. It's laid out for us there. It says this, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever man soweth. That shall he also reap. Notice that word shall. For he that soweth to his flesh shall of the flesh reap corruption. But he that soweth to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Much like should, shall has a very important meaning. You know what it says? It's a promise. God's giving a promise. He says, this is what's going to happen. I'm giving you my word. So he established the law of sowing and reaping. And most certainly, man, we should, we should uh, hold to it, adhere to it, believe in it, trust in it, just as much as we do gravity. The law of gravity is established by God, and every day we don't wake up every morning and go, huh, hope I don't go to space tonight. Ay, ay, ay. Come on, gravity, hope you're working. Oh, we don't do that, do we? No. We just get up and we just live our lives based upon the fact that we have faith in gravity. And what this is supposed to be telling us is, listen, God established that law, but he also established the law of of the law of of sowing and reaping. He doesn't talk about gravity, yet we put all this faith in gravity, yet he does talk about sowing and reaping. So really, we should put more faith in it than we do in gravity, amazingly enough. So God specifically names it, Galatians 6, 7. Again, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. And then so building upon what we learned over the last few weeks, we're going to move into chapter 14. And we're going to begin, as we look at this, as the implementation of God's plan for his people. Now, I'm going to read all five of the entry verses, but I'm actually, I, I was talking to Kobe on, on Thursday. I was like, man, I got five points. I'm working through it. And then I was like, I realized, I was like, you know what? We're going to get one point. That's all we're going to get. <laughs> I only got through verse number one um, because it's just so rich. And you're going to see why in a moment. But uh, the message this morning is titled, Fulfilling God's Plan with a question mark, part one. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for the gift, Father, of this time that we get to spend together around your word. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be receptive. I pray that, Lord, my mind and my tongue would not get in the way. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would help me, Father, just to surrender, to get uh, my flesh, uh, Lord, uh, removed from this message that you might speak to us and what it is that we need. I'm confident you've spoken to me, and I'm just uh, now asking you that you would speak through me. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right, first, or, uh, Joshua chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Quick sip. Here we go. And these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan, which Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for inheritance to them. By lot was their inheritance as the Lord commanded by the hand of Moses for the nine tribes and for the half tribe. And Moses had given the inheritance of two tribes and a half tribe on the other side, Jordan. But unto the Levites, he gave none inheritance among them for the children of Joseph were two tribes, Manasseh and Ephraim. Therefore, they gave no part unto the Levites in the land, save cities to dwell in. 
with their suburbs for their cattle and for their substance. As the Lord commanded Moses, so the children of Israel did, and they divided the land. So the Lord begins this chapter by giving us broad statement of what is to come more specifically as we work forward. In verse number one, he said this, and these are the countries which the children of Israel inherited in the land of Canaan. Now in this message, which I'm hoping is going to be two parts, I, I can't promise you it's going to be two parts. We'll see. But we're going to have five points that we're going to hit in these five verses. We're going to look at, first of all, the facilitators of God's plan. We're going to look at the implement, implementation of God's plan. We'll look at the compromise of God's plan. We'll look at the holy, the holy purpose of God's plan, and we'll also look at the fulfillment of God's plan. As I said, we're only going to get to point one today, so the facilitators of God's plan. Now, what we already know from our study over the last few weeks is there is division amongst the children of Israel. Okay, There is the delineating line between the promised land and the wilderness is the Jordan River. The two and a half tribes choose to be in the wilderness. They're choosing division. So these are that's their commitment. Now, the other nine and a half tribes, they're committed to receiving what God has prepared for them. He has preserved it for them. So what we're going to see today is God's plan, though it's been altered some, being realized, okay? Now, recognize the fact that there is an undercurrent of division as God's plan is trying to be put into implementation. There is disunity amongst the people, and that's not God's plan. Notice what he says in Psalm 133.1. He says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for the children to dwell together in unity. Listen to what Paul communicates to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians 1.10. Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing, and there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfect, joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. That means you guys will all choose Canaan. That's what I wanted you guys to do. Now that's not where we stand. Now, this is absolutely key for them to be successful in accomplishing God's will. Listen to what the Lord relays to us in Matthew 12, 25. And Jesus knew their thoughts, speaking to the Pharisees as they're addressing him. He says, and said unto them, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself shall not stand. What an ominous thing to know as we move forward into a divided group of people. And so trying to accomplish God's will, and yet having an undercurrent of division is troublesome, to say the least. And that's what the Israelites are attempting to do. Keep in mind that we mentioned last time, or we've mentioned many times in Scripture, and many times in, not Scripture, but in our messages, that partial obedience is still disobedience. So nine and a half tribes doing it right, and two and a half tribes doing it wrong guess what? They're all going to still have to deal with the consequences. You and I, we say, like, well, I did most everything right. We're admitting that we did something wrong. God's expectation is that we would be obedient. So that's the stage that they've set for themselves. And the three groups that are getting ready to be uh, administered to or, or, or receive their stuff, things, is the nine and a half tribes. They'll get Canaan. We have the two and a half tribes that are going to receive outside of Canaan. Then we have the Levites. The Levites are unique. They're going to receive a special inheritance. They actually receive God as their inheritance. And so understanding the undercurrent of division, let's get into the logistics of actually how this is going to take place in our first point, which is the facilitators of God's plan. Number one, it says, Eleazar the priest and Joshua the son of Nun and the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel distributed for an inheritance to them. And we go, okay, well, what are we going to get a message out of that? How's that going to work? Well, it's really, really cool how this is going to work. If I get out of the way, we'll see. So the leaders 
of the Israelites, listen, they are to supervise the process of the distribution of the land. They're not to decide who gets what or who deserves what. Their job is simply to fulfill that God's will is accomplished. We see Eleazar is first listed. Eleazar was a high priest. He's a Levite. He was the third-born son of Aaron. Now, there were two other sons of Aaron, but when Aaron died, Eleazar took over that role. Because, now that happens in Hebrews chapter, or Numbers chapter 10, but what happens, those other sons were already dead because what actually happened, they had God set an expectation for them. They dishonored God and they dishonored their role as priests and God destroyed them. So now Eleazar steps into, into this role. He is here to, um, to fulfill his, uh, his godly uh, purpose, which is to be a spiritual leader. Okay, that's our first thing, letter A, is spiritual leadership. Guiding God's people to honor God. Then we have Joshua, the son of Nun. Interestingly enough, just as a side note, and you can, this will be a little side study you can do on your own. Up to this point, what we find is it's usually Joshua leads. It's always about Joshua, 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 Joshua. Now we've gotten to the promised land, and it comes time for the distribution. God's will is about to be accomplished, and what you find is their roles will switch. Joshua, who's always been in the lead, now gets secondary. Eleazar is listed first, then Joshua. And from here on forward in the book of Joshua, as you go forward, they show up three different times, and each time they have switched roles. It lists Eleazar, then Joshua. And if you go back into the book of Numbers and you look at when Moses is talking about what's going to happen when it comes time to distribute it, suddenly, for whatever reason, the roles are reversed. It lists Eleazar and then Joshua. God is purposeful in everything that he does. The Bible is specific. Listen, just simple little things like the order of names. That's what this message is based upon. It's based upon the order. And if we're not paying attention to the little things, man, we'll miss big things that God wants to show us. This is going to be Awesome. I'm fired up. All right, here we go. <laughs> so then we have Joshua, the son of Nun, who is of the tribe of Ephraim and a descendant of Joseph. Now, we remember Joseph is a picture, a perfect picture of Christ, just like Daniel. But Joshua also is a picture of Christ. In fact, if you go to the Hebrew rendering or the Hebrew spelling of the name Joshua or of Jesus, the name Jesus in Hebrew is Joshua. So he is a picture of of the Lord. Now, what's Joshua's job? His job was to lead the armies as a general. He guided the Israelites on how it was they would be strategic in accomplishing the mission that God established them to perform. So we see Eleazar, I want to call him Israel, are so bad. Uh, Eleazar, his job is to make sure that God is glorified. Then we get to Joshua, his job is to make sure the mission is fulfilled. So he is that military leader, making sure that they're going to fight against wickedness. Then we, then we have the heads of the fathers of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now, these are senior leaders from each tribe. Their job is to be a representative of the people. We might call them the political leaders. What are they looking out for? Looking out for the best interest of their constituents. That's their job. Now, this day displays for us, as we look at this distribution... That, first of all, is to be guided first and foremost from a spiritual perspective, making certain that it honors the Lord. Secondarily, it's to be considered from a strategic standpoint, making certain that it stays on the mission that God established them to perform. And the very last thing is the perspective on personal gain, what it is 
that we would receive. Now, if we applied this to ourselves, you and I are making decisions for our future all the time. We're making choices for ourselves as well as our families. And what we need to understand first and foremost is that we must consider it most importantly from a spiritual perspective. This must be the guide for our lives. Now, how will this decision that I'm making, how will it impact me spiritually? Okay? Is this decision that I'm making the best way for me to bring glory to God through my life? Is this decision based upon what God wants for me? Or is it based upon what I want for myself? Okay? That's supposed to be last. Keep in mind, not every door that is opened in life is opened by God. There are lots of doors that look very appealing that we should not step through. So we need to evaluate things. Recognize the fact that our enemy comes as two things. He comes as a roaring lion and he comes as an angel of light. We see the roaring lion in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober, be vigilant because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion walketh about seeking whom he may devour. Now, there are certainly circumstances where he'll show up like that, man. When you're, when you're broken, when you're in failure, when you're in depression, when you're in sadness, it ain't an angel of light that shows up. No. It's a roaring lion. And what does a lion do? He hunts by circling and watching and looking for weakness. He doesn't pick on the crowd. He picks on the individual, the straggler that slips out. He looks for the weak. He looks for the infirm. And he isolates them and he destroys them. That's how he functions. You'll find him in the darkness. Oh, but there's another one that jumps up. That angel of light. 2 Corinthians 11 verses 13 to 14 says this. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. He's saying you're going to meet people that are demonic, that look like Christians, they sound like Christians, they dress like Christians, they carry Bibles like Christians, and they have a demonic force that's working to destroy people's faith. There are people all over the city that unfortunately are being influenced by that very principle. But we see, go even further, verse 14. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. And this is the one that loves to show up, especially in Christians' lives. He loves to come with all kinds of options and opportunities to place them before us. Because, you know, when something's pretty, you know what happens to us? We lower our guard. There is a principle in psychiatry in psychology called the attractive bias. And when you go and you read about the attractive bias, they study children. And they'll take very young children that cannot even speak. And they'll have an attractive person come and offer them something. And they'll have somebody unattractive, maybe made up or whatever it is. And by nature, the child will trust the attractive person and distrust the person who's not attractive. And you know that isn't just with children. It carries all the way through our lives. It's something that is in us. So the devil preys upon our willingness to accept things that are beautiful. And so he comes, man, as an angel of light, buddy. This is good for you. I can promise. So when it comes to making decisions, we're supposed to walk by faith and not by sight. Because an angel of light is something we see. So we're not supposed to base our decisions based upon what we see, but based upon what we know is truth. So what we do is we step away. We step back. We try to make a a decision not based upon the influence of what we see or what's appealing to us. We make the decision based upon the fact that we're going to, I'm going to measure this situation, this circumstance, and make sure that I'm making a godly choice. Is this the thing that will give God the the most glory? Then we're to consider it from a strategic standpoint, and that's pictured in Joshua. Consider this. 
when we are uh, in, 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 in regards to us considering it uh, will help us to continue. Here we go. To experience victory. When we're thinking about what it is God wants us to do, what, we're need, what we need to do is consider, hey, listen, if I'm currently being used by the Lord, this choice that's going to be made is it's going to make me more effective in regards to the battle that I'm in. What is our battle? Our battle is a mission that God's placed us on, which is reaching the souls of men and women and boys and girls. We have a battle on our hands. So our, what was our choice that we're making? Is it best for us to be effective in regards to being successful in that mission? Or is it possible that this could be detrimental to us? The influence, understand, in our lives that you and I need to be focused on is allowing the Spirit of God to give us wisdom in regards to what it is that we're going to do. God's Word tells us what to do, and God's Spirit also tells us what to do. He talks about a peace that passeth all understanding. There are situations sometimes you walk into it and you go, you know what? I am, it, I am not at ease for whatever reason. I can't explain it. But there is a sense here that I am very uncomfortable. And there's other instances where you meet somebody that's a stranger and you're like, wow, you know what? There's a sense here. There's a sense of peace. I'm telling you, when, you get, when we go to Africa, those of you that are going to go with us, man, when you get to Africa, you're going to meet people you've never met. They live a totally different culture, totally different place. And you're going to meet them. And, man, you're going to feel like, I just want to go hug this guy, dude. I just want to, like, just go hang out. I mean, it's amazing. It's the fellowship of the spirit that we have. So again, we decide whether or not a decision is strategic for the mission that God has placed us on, always considering how we can be most effective in fulfilling our mission, our personal mission to reach the lost world. Then there's the, the last one, the perspective of personal gain. What's in it for me? Now, we know this is supposed to be our last concern. But sadly, for most people, this is their only concern. The decisions that they make are solely driven based upon how it impacts me, how it will make me feel, what will I receive, right? And so that aspect of that is not God's plan for us. We're not supposed to be selfish, selfish, selfish. <laughs> I almost said shellfish. That would have been even worse. Um, but the point is, that's not who we're supposed to be. Right? We're supposed to be selfless. Well, a lot of times we're supposed to love as Christ loves the church. Christ is as selfless as you can get, man. He gave himself a ransom for many. Right? So we look at our, in Mark 8.34. God tells us in Mark 8.34 and other places that you and I, guess what we're supposed to do? Deny ourselves. Because of our selfish desires, he says, you deny yourself. Deny yourself. We look in, in Mark 10.44. He defines for us. He says, listen, you need to be a servant. The one of you that's going to be greatest, you need to be a servant of all. He says, look, I didn't come here to be served, but to serve, to give my lance a life, a ransom for many. He's our ultimate example. We want to know what it is we're supposed to do and how we're supposed to live our life. Look at Christ. So this aspect of believing and doing what's right for us is a dangerous and unfortunately a very human thing to do. Now, there's nothing wrong with personal gain as long as it is not at the expense of the glory of God or the mission of God. Amen. So I'm not saying it's wrong for us to look out for ourselves. Certainly we do. But as long as those two don't suffer in as a result. So we must desire God's desire above our own desire. Are you guys okay? Yeah. Very quiet. I feel like y'all are going, I don't like that guy. He smells bad, whatever. <laughs> but it's not, this, is not, this is not easy stuff necessarily always to receive. And you know, that's like, uh, <laughs> um, 
Isabel one night on a Wednesday night, she said, you know, this is the only church I've ever been to where they punish you in the messages. And I'm like, <laughs> they punish you? She's like, well, you know what I mean? You know, like not punish, but whatever it is, you know, confront you and stuff like that. I'm like, okay, well, I, I got that part, right? Because the Bible says that what's the what's scripture, what's, what's the preaching supposed to do? It's supposed to reprove, it's supposed to rebuke and exhort unto righteousness. The first two are negatives. That third one, man, hey, how do I do it? How do I do better? And that's what today's about. Because this is just as much for me as it is for you. I'm not pointing fingers. I mean, dude, I'm in this as well. But this is paramount for us to making decisions in our lives. We must put the Lord first. Matthew 6, Jesus says, he said, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, right? That we're living in a way that's pleasing to God. That's our focus. We've determined that, listen, it's not about me. It's about him. That's the ultimate end goal. And what does he say? And all these things shall be added unto you. All that personal gain stuff that you're fighting for, that you're working for, guess what? You don't have to worry about that. I'll take care of all that stuff that you've been stressed about. What you need to do is focus on me. Put me first in your life. Reorient, right? And look at the orientation. Eleazar, then Joshua, then us, then the body. So God has these leaders in place to guide the process of distribution. This is so that, for the most part, that God's will is going to be fulfilled. We do have that two and a half tribes issue that Moses threw in the mix. But their job is to help see that, help for the people to see and accept God's will for them. That's their purpose. And what a great example this is for us to consider when we consider those that are in spiritual leadership roles in our lives. There are people that God's got in our lives for a purpose. We need to recognize the value of these individuals. I have a pastor. My wife and I have a pastor. Pastor Billy Wood is in, uh, in Georgia, in Douglasville, Georgia. One Baptist church is the church that planted this church. And our pastor has time and time and time again invested in my life. Amen. When I've been not know what to do, we're dealing with something I don't know what to deal with. And he's like, hey, buddy. He always says the same thing. Hey, buddy. Love you, man. And I'm like, yeah. And we can carry anything to him. And he lifts it with us. He bears our burden with us. And there's people in this, in this congregation, and you're those people as well for us. You've spoken into our lives. You continue to speak into our lives. And I try to do the same thing back for you. But ultimately, it's so important. These people are here for a reason. God's placed them there so that we can take, a, take, uh, we can take from them, from their wisdom, as long as it's based and grounded in the Word of God. Understand, if we're receiving wisdom from somebody just because they've lived a long time, that doesn't necessarily mean it's good advice. Uh, there's a lot of bad advice out there. We want biblically grounded advice. That's what's good about calling, calling our pastor. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15 says this, And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints. Listen to that. For the perfecting of the saints. The word perfect, perfect in the Old Testament or in the, in the King's English means to be uh, matured. For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, the building up. Verse 13, till we all come in the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man. Again, that is maturity unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. He's saying that you would look more like Jesus than you ever did before through their influence. Verse verse 14, that we henceforth be no more children tossed to and fro, carried about with every wind of doctrine by the slight of men and cunning craftiness, whereby they lie and wait to deceive. But speaking the truth and love may grow up into him and all things, which is the head, even Christ. 
He says, speak the truth in love. That means it's grounded in the word of God. We're giving people God's truth. And so spiritual leadership that is biblically grounded is absolutely essential for you and I in our walk with God. It's so important. We all need good biblical advice, good biblical counsel at different times in our lives. We're not always the one with the answers. I'm not always the one with the answers. Let me tell you, more often than not. But praise God, there are people that are willing to invest in us, that care about us, that love us. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 5 through 8 says this, A wise man will hear and will increase learning, and a man of understanding shall attain unto wise counsel. Verse 6, to understand a proverb and the interpretation, the words of the wise and their dark sayings. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. You ever have anybody that you try to give instructions to and they just will not listen? I mean, no matter how, I mean, it's something so simple. And you're just like, no, would you just, I've told you three times, (laughs) this ain't that hard, man. You got it? And they're like, yeah, I got it, I got it, I got it. And then they do it wrong again and you're just like, okay, I don't want to call them a fool, but biblically I might be able to uh, qualify them in this moment. And then he says here in verse 8, my son, hear the instruction of thy father. And forsake not the law of thy mother. If the kids were in here, I would really hammer that, but they're not, so we'll just (laughs) listen to your parents, right? They have wisdom. They have life, but it's about application of God's word. Regardless of our age, we all need godly advisors who will tell us the truth even when we don't want to hear the truth. That is a hard one because you know what? Telling people what they want to hear, you are not helping them. If someone's off course, our job is to speak truth, but do it in love. We're not a judge. We're not a jury. We don't condemn people. That's not our role in any way, shape, or form. The Bible says we're supposed to come alongside our brother in Galatians 6.1. He says, you find your brother taken in a fall. He says, he that is spiritual, come along. Come come unto him and restore and one in a spirit of meekness. We're supposed to lovingly help people out of their messes. We tell them the truth, but we do it lovingly. John 8.32 Jesus said this, and ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Now, he's referencing and speaking to a group of Pharisees at this moment, but that truth is absolutely true for you and I. The truth shall make you free. Because I can tell you this, there are lies around our world everywhere you turn. Sadly, truth has become harder and harder to come by, especially biblical truth. Someone who's given you actually what the Bible does truly say. There are so many versions and translations and distortions of God's word, and everybody wants to say it's God's word. It cannot be. It cannot be. If I write a letter to my wife, and then you rewrite it, and you give it to her, that's not a letter for me. You might get the general principles, and you might cover a couple things that I covered, but you wrote it. It's no longer my intention that she receives. It's now your intention of what I was trying to say. We don't need that. If I want to hear what my wife has to say, I don't want y'all writing anything to me. Let her write it to me directly, right? That's it. That's the simple concept. So if I, if I want to hear from God, what is? There's one Bible that for 400 years was the only English translation for, man, for mankind. It never changed. It has never changed. It's the only one you cannot copyright. But there are distortions of this Bible in every which language and every which way, over 450 English translations. And every one of them is copywritten except for one. In order to copyright something, you have to change 10% of the original manuscript. 10% change. A person goes, you know what? I think this seems better. Eh, that'd be a better word. Let's, write, let's change that. And after we get done, we'll write our name on it. And every time somebody publishes it, they'll pay us. Only one you can't do that. 
King James Bible. God has preserved it throughout time. That's not my message, but I just thought I'd throw it in there. Biblical truth. So the availability of biblical truth. If we have someone in our life that is going to speak true, biblical, scriptural wisdom into our lives, we need not take that for granted. We need not be unappreciative of it because you know what? As the times get worse, it's going to get harder and harder and harder to find because people will fall prey to the tricks that Satan is putting in them. You know why people fall for lies? Because they don't know the truth. We look in 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 16 through 18. Now, in this verse, what's happening is Paul is, or Peter is actually, um, Peter's referencing Paul's writings. I want you to notice that it calls it scripture already in the first century here. Notice what it says. Peter says this about Paul's writings. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood. Peter's like, hey man, sometimes I read Paul and I'm not sure exactly. I got to reread this a couple times. Which they that are unlearned, this is it. They that are unlearned and unstable rest. You see that word, W-R-E-S-T? That's the root word of wrestle. That means twist out of its form. So those that are unlearned and unstable, they rest the scripture. They make it say what they want it to say. And they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Destruction. And there are countless churches in our area and all around our country with people that are supposedly pastors of churches who are literally leading their congregations to destruction because they do not know God's word. They're not rightly dividing God's word. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Rightly dividing uh, is this uh, study to show thyself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That tells us that if you can rightly divide it, that you can wrongly divide it. And there are tons of people doing that. And you're not supposed to name preachers at the pulpit, but I'm going to name a guy right now. (laughs) Andy Stanley. I'm telling you, if you listen to Andy Stanley, that guy, his father, man, praise the Lord, his dad had a great testimony, was a good, godly man. But Andy Stanley has gone so far off the, whatever it is, the ranch, the farm, whatever it is. He is in the woods when it comes to the Bible. I went on his website talking about his new series, and this is the thing it talked about. It said, telling Christians that they should not build their faith on the reliability of the Word of God because it cannot be trusted, but on the event of the resurrection of the Lord. Because you can validate that historically, but you can't trust the Word of God. That's his stand. And he's a pastor? He will have to answer to God for that. But can I tell you, man, listen, 2 Peter. When we go to verse number, chapter number 1, verse 16 through 21, Peter recounts for us when he's up on the Mount of Transfiguration. He says, man, there was a moment when when the Lord Jesus Christ took me and James and and John. We went up there. We went up onto the mountain. And and you know what happened? Man, the Lord showed up. God showed up. Jesus peeled away his skin. We We saw the Shekinah glory. I heard God's voice with my own ears. I saw it all with my own eyes. And in that first Peter, you know what he says? He says, we have a more sure word than what I saw and what I heard with my own ears because my eyes can be fooled. My, my earring can be fooled. My memory can be fooled. But God's word does not change. So I have a more sure word. I trust the word of God. Romans ten seventeen says, for the faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The word is the root and the base of it all. This is the key. Remember what verse 16 said. 
2 Peter 3, they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Not only are they deceiving their congregations, but they are in fact deceiving themselves. 2 Timothy 3, 13, listen to what it says here. But evil men and seducers shall wax worse and worse. And here's the part. Deceiving and being deceived. They're believing the lie too. They fall and pray to the tactics of the enemy. And that's why false doctrine is so prevalent in our world today because just people don't know God's word. Look, I wasn't raised in a biblical home. I wasn't raised around God's people. But you know what? Thank God after I got saved, I've had people invest in my life that show me the truth of God's word. It's been through the investment of others and spending real time, not cursory reading of the Bible, but studying, 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 studying. And if we'll work, man, God will reveal it to us. Why do we push discipleship so much? Look, we don't gain anything from you being a discipleship. There's no like we don't like, oh, I got another ding, like we get a dollar in the mail or something. Like it's nothing, right? It's effort. I mean, we just finished. It took us two years. Every week for two years, an hour to three hours for that entire time. And what's the reason for that? Why is the purpose? Why is it so important? Because now he can invest in the life of somebody else. And in the end, God's the one keeping score. And what matters to him is souls. It's not about crowds. It's not about accolades. It's not about a reputation. It's not about people knowing who we are. It's not that at all. It's about the Lord loving what we do. It's about giving honor and glory through the mission that we're trying to accomplish through the work that we do. And so we look at that. We go with discipleship. And then Wednesday nights. Man, why do we change Wednesday nights? We used to do Wednesday nights like everybody else. And about eight months ago, God in the, I was in the shower. I'm not, that's where I was. Uh, <laughs> I was in the shower, and God just was like, I just had this revelation kind of thing where I was like, why are you teaching something different than you are on Sunday? Why aren't you taking from Sunday and building on Sunday so they can use Sunday? So why don't you use Wednesday night? And then what we can do is we can sit and we can discuss this. And some people read the questions. They go, well, I don't know how to answer the questions. I'm intimidated. Don't worry about that. If you're intimidated, don't fill them out. Fill them out when you get here. But what you'll find if you'll come to Wednesday night is it's a discussion. I'm not going to stand up. I'm here. I'm sitting in a chair with everybody else, and we have a big discussion about how do we apply what we've learned. Because the problem we have with church is people get disconnected from the message. They hear it. They walk out the door, and they forget what they've heard. They don't apply it. So why are the, message, why are the questions important? Because now you go back, and it makes you think back. And it allows discussion in your home with your kids. Discuss the questions. And then come back on Wednesday and grow together. We've been given opportunities to grow, but many times we don't take advantage of them. And then we're like, why am I not getting where I need to get? Why, 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 why is my life not going the way I want it to go? And God says, I told you what I want for you, but you've got to choose for yourself. You pick what you want to do. Peter continues in 2 Peter 3. He says this, Ye therefore, beloved... Seeing ye know these things before, beware. Beware lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. There are people that have a pretty good biblical grounding, but there are people out there. You go sit down with Jehovah's Witness. Most Baptists, you know, 80% of Jehovah's Witnesses are ex-Baptists. Sad truth, because they don't know the Bible. So when Jehovah's Witness comes in, 
and he starts jumping in the Old Testament and taking promises to the Jews. And they just say, it's all the same. Don't worry about that. Just let me show you this. And they go, I'm going to build a case for you. And they start building it and building it. You're like, does say that? Yeah. It does say that too. And you see what that says? Yeah. And you've been told this. And yeah, that's wrong. And you're like, oh, man, I thought I knew what's going on. And they're like, yep, yep, yep. Turns out it's all right here in the Bible the whole time. What, you know what they do? They take the Bible out of context. They twist every which way but loose. And they'll show you something. You create an argument of their control. But if you'll find, if you have a conversation with one of them and you take control and you start to actually establish biblical facts, they're like, I got to go. <laughs> they don't, they're, not in, they're there to fool, to trick people. And if you know the word of God, they cannot, they cannot fool you. And so this Christian experience, understand that it's not, where am I at? No, oh, verse 18, but grow in grace and in the knowledge, listen, grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, get to know him. And what's the purpose? To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. This whole thing is about God receiving glory. The Christian experience is not about transferring information. It is about facilitating transformation. That's the purpose. This is what Eleazar and Joshua and the tribal leaders are tasked with. They're supposed to bring these people by the direction and the wisdom of the Lord, guiding their steps, their job is to guide the transformation of this ragtag bunch of nomads into the nation of God, in the land that God established, leading them, investing in them, advising them in becoming who God created them to be, the children of God. And this is what the church of today is being tasked with as well. This is our job Although there are many churches that are not fulfilling their job, they're not fulfilling their calling, because what's happened is they're caught up in what's called a humanistic Christianity. That is Christianity designed to fit humanity, as opposed to real Christianity, which is about humanity adapting to God. We don't adapt God to us. We adopt our lives to him. That's how we become better. That's how we become profitable for the kingdom of God. But see what happens Because people are biblically ignorant, that is what's going on. But what's cool is out of every time, if you always go through through the Bible, any times there's a big movement where things are bad or going, bad or going, bad or going, God always saves out a remnant. Just a remnant. And what's really cool is he can accomplish his will with the remnant. Question is, where are we? Are we the remnant? Individually, we have to choose. This church has a desire. That's what we want for you. But that doesn't mean that's what it is. Amos chapter 8, verse 11 says this. Behold, this is a prophecy from God. It says, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord God, that I will send a famine into the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. There will come a time when people will be, there'll be a famine of hearing. People will not receive the word of truth. They'll want fables. They'll want stories. They want to go to church and have someone tell them a story about their life and tie some kind of biblical principle into it and roll them out the door. And they go, man, that was great. I love that. Man, I'd love to see that dog he had. That's amazing. And that's church. They're not biblically grounded. They're not growing. And though there are many churches that may be, this is their reality, maybe they are in the midst of the famine and the people are starving to death. They're deaf because they they don't have the ability to receive it. But can I tell you that I vow for, 
I vow that will not be the case for this church. Amen. If it kills me. Because you see, the leadership of Hope Baptist Church, man, listen, we are committed to you understanding who God is. We're committed to God receiving glory. We're committed to the mission of God. We're committed to God's people becoming who it is that he called them to be. Look, we have his word. We have his spirit. We have his commission. We know what we're supposed to do. We have it laid out for us. It doesn't matter what other churches are doing. It doesn't matter what other Christians are doing. It does not matter. What matters is what we do with the time we have left. Because when we leave this place, it's done. If it's by death or it's by way of the rapture, you're done. We don't get a second shot. And if we don't take advantage of it now, man, what an opportunity we'll miss out on. What does Peter say in 1 Peter 2, verses 9 through 12? Listen to this. But you're a chosen generation a royal priesthood, and a holy nation, a peculiar people, listen, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which, have not, which had not obtained mercy, but listen, praise God, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, hey church, dearly beloved, I beseech you. Beseech means I beg. I beg you as a strangers and pilgrims amongst a world that does not recognize you, that you look different, that you stand different, that you think different, that you act different. Abstain from fleshly lust. Don't let them draw you into it, which war against the soul having your conversation honest among the Gentiles. When the world looks at you, man, you shine bright. That whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold. Listen, what do they see in you? What do they see in you? Glorify God in the day of visitation. Those people, the lost people, will give glory to God because of our testimony that we don't fail, that we don't fall, that we don't quit, that we keep in mind that God's glory is important, that we can mind that the mission is paramount and that we're supposed to be last. Because when we get that out of order, everything goes down. The Lord doesn't get what he gets, what he deserves. And we miss the boat. Can I tell you that, man, that day is quickly approaching when this thing's going to be wrapped up. Yeah. It's not long. And what we have to ask ourselves is how do we want to finish how do we want to finish? As a conqueror for Christ who earned the promised land because of their faithfulness? Or be one of those who are conquered in the wilderness, overthrown in the wilderness, because they never got serious about God? Every day we choose, do I serve God or do I serve me? It's not a joke. It's the most serious thing that there is. You see, the facilitators are in place. <laughs> they're, they're waiting to guide, to guide us, to guide you into becoming who it is that God created you to be. We're all given life for a purpose. And it's not about our reputation or what we can attain. It's about God's glory. We're supposed to be the image of Christ. Listen, not only do people here in this church want to inform you in the word of God so that you know it, 
so that you can stand on it, so you can defend it. But it, ultimately, it's about transformation to the application of God's word. Why do we push Wednesday night? Why do we push discipleship? Because it's about transforming lives for the glory of God. Our mission is clear. Matthew 28, verses 19 through 20. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. So we see salvation. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We see baptism, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost. And here's discipleship, teaching them to observe all, th- all things whatsoever I have commanded you. Help them learn how to walk like me. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Amen. You get, on, you get on mission. You get on job. And guess what? I'm right there with you. I will build your defense. I will, I will build your people up with my word. And I'll defend those disciples, when they go out and they're trying to apply and the devil's coming against them, man, I'll fight for them. You know, God rewards faithfulness. Can I promise you this? If you're trying to grow in the word of God, the enemy is going to come. He'll try first as an angel of light. I can promise you. Here's the, here's a little lure. Doesn't this look good? I know you're supposed to be in discipleship, but man, opportunities like this don't come by very often. It's not a big deal. Miss once or twice. You know how people get out of discipleship? They miss one time and they realize, you know what I can do? I can miss it again. I can miss it again. Next, you know. I know whenever I'm discipling somebody and it gets to where I'm having to text them, we still on? We're in trouble. <laughs> we're in trouble. We need to beat. It's always awesome when they're like, hey, we're still on? I'm like, yeah, baby, we're still on. Yeah. But when it starts to be me chasing them, I guess what? I know the angel of light has shown up, and he's got their attention. Our mission is is clear. Our our calling is unmistakable. We just read it. The question is, right, will we answer the call? Again, it goes back to this. We get to choose. The facilitators are in place. For God's glory is the ultimate goal. The mission is to be fulfilled. And we're supposed to be last. Is that the way we're living our lives? Is this the way that we're choosing our destiny, our future? Our community desperately needs soldiers for Christ who not only know the truth of the word of God, but who are willing to share that same truth. And this is the qualifier in love. We will not reach this broken world by damning it, condemning it, pointing fingers at it, making fun of it. That is not why we are here. We're not to judge anybody's worthiness. I don't care what their life displays. Because if we took you at your most broken moment and we all laid it out here on the stage, we'd all be disgusted. Guess what? You would be a me. You'd be like, man, they need to throw that guy out of there. Because guess what? I'm just like you. I've done and said stupid, ignorant, selfish things. But God loved me in spite of it. And if I'm supposed to love the world the way that Christ loves the world... And guess what? We don't judge it. We love it. We share the truth in love. And in doing so, we will fulfill God's plan. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for today, for uh, what we've heard from you, uh, Lord, from your word. Uh, Thank you, God, for the insight. Uh, Lord, just to recognize and see the order of just those, even the way that they're listed in Scripture means so much. I do pray for my brothers and sisters, Lord, for those that may be right today. Maybe they're struggling with the decision. Maybe they're struggling with one they've already made. Lord, maybe they're, they're dealing with adversities as the angel of light is trying to lure them away. Or perhaps they're dealing with the, 
the roaring lion who's trying to divide them, separate them, and hurt them. Lord, I pray for all of my brothers and sisters. I pray, God, for your protection. I pray for your guidance. I pray for your insight. I pray for your discernment. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would help us as a church, as a body, to support one another, to love one another, to build one another up in the knowledge and the wisdom of the application of the word of God. The one thing you warn us in scriptures, you tell us that knowledge puffeth up. We must be careful that we're not just about receiving knowledge that we're not using. God, if we'll use it, God, you can do great and mighty things. So Lord, help us to be mindful of your glory. Help us to be mindful of the mission and weigh every decision that we make based upon how what we choose, what we decide, would impact those two things. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed. If you're here today and you say, listen, Pastor, I, I'm struggling right now with a decision. Would you pray for me in regards to what it is I need to do? Help me. Yes, I see that hand. Anybody else? Say, listen, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. Anybody? Anybody else? Yes, amen. 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 Father, would you just be with my brothers and sisters right now that are weighing with something heavy on their hearts? God, would you show them through your word the choice, the steps, the way that you would have them to go? Help them, Lord, to do what is most glorifying to you. And Lord, help them to do the one thing, Lord, that is most mission-minded. And God, I know that you'll provide every need that they have. Thank you for being with us in the midst of struggling times. Now with our heads bowed also with, with our eyes closed. If you're here today, you're online, you're watching, you're, you're hearing this recorded. And you say, I don't even know necessarily that I have a relationship with God. There are a lot of people that know who God is. There are a lot of people that recognize God from a religious standpoint. They know about Jesus on the cross. They can tell you the story of his birth. They can tell you the story of his death. But when it comes to a personal relationship where they know for a fact that they are a child of the king, they do not have it. They struggle with it on a day-to-day basis. And I got to promise you, God does not want that for you. He wants you to be secure in your faith. Because if you're secure, you will share. If you're insecure because the devil's on you, man, you will not share. You will not share. And if you're saved today, man, and you need assurance, man, get it because God loves you in the midst. But if you're here and you say, I don't know where I stand with God, I'm not certain that I'm saved. You have an opportunity today to receive that gift. It is not a prayer. It's not a ceremony. It's nothing. Remember, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're all sinners. The Bible says, for all of sin to come short of the glory of God. But God commendeth his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, even though we're undeserving, Christ loved us. He offers us a gift. And how do we receive it? It's simple. By faith. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Simple. Shall. Again, that word of promise shows up again. Shall. If you've never received Christ by faith, you've never really given him your heart, If he's drawing you today, all you have to do is surrender to the call. Receive the gift of God. With our heads bowed and eyes closed, if you want to do that, if you're watching this online and listening to it recorded, it does not require a preacher, a pastor. There's no ceremony involved. There's no magic prayer. It's nothing more than your heart reaching out to him. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. I'm going to lead you in prayer, but again, it's not the words. God's looking into your heart. So their heads bowed and eyes closed. If you want to receive Christ, repeat after me in your heart and mind. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I'm so sorry for my sin. I now realize that I'm accountable to you for all that I've done. 
and I'm so sorry. I believe that you died on the cross and that you love me in spite of myself. I'm asking you right now to come into my heart, to save my soul, and to give me a home in heaven. Lord, thank you for saving me. I will see you in heaven one day. For it's in Jesus' name I pray and give thanks. Amen.